It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day and welcome once again to the Two Jacks, where we discuss all matters Australian, political and media, and uh, then go around the world and have a look what's going on there. And joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack, all the way in Hong Kong, Jack. Yeah, that's, that's why you got the name. Yeah, um, uh, mate. Uh, we know how, how. How are you going? Firstly, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah. good. And you've got a bit of a typhoon there, which is a cyclone for the rest yeah. of us, or a yeah, hurricane well, if you're in the north. Well, we had one last week. We have another one again today. I think um, uh, the, the 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 minor warning is up today. Uh, or late yesterday, um, but we had a big one, or you know, a fairly big one last Friday. Um, uh, got to be a T eight, um, and what, I think I might have sent you a little clip of some uh, uh, mainly expat uh, Hong Kongers in the rain and the wind outside a bar singing Delilah, um, uh, taken last Friday, and it, that struck me because it's a measure of how much working from home has changed society. Uh, this used to be normal behaviour in a typhoon in Hong Kong, because. You get to a T8, T8 rewarding eight, that means the markets close, law schools, banks, uh, shops, schools, everything, they're all closed, right? Um, so in those days, if you if the market's closed, you can't trade. If you're an investment banker and you have no access to the, um, uh, the network in the office, you can't work from home. So what do you do? Um, uh, you know you're going to spend tomorrow sitting on the couch watching videos, so you go down to the local bar and you get stuck in, <laughs> and they become some of the great impromptu parties. Um, we used to have a bloke who'd turn up called Simon with the sports bag, an Indian chap who would walk in with pirated DVDs from Shenzhen, and people would be busy buying those because they, they had to fill in tomorrow. Is anyone using DVDs anymore? This no, must no, be some yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we're all streaming now. Yeah. And, 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 you know, acknowledging copyright law, etc. I know yeah. you're a lawyer, Jack. You can't yeah. just wave these things away when it suits you. No, um, uh, but these days, of course, a T8 means people go home and work at home, you know, um, and uh, it's just, just not quite the same thing. I'm not sure it's an improvement, I've got to say. Uh, a lot of it going on in Australia too. Um, Post-pandemic, a lot of people now still working from home. It doesn't bode well for uh, commercial real estate uh, in our major cities, does it? Or um, um, around the world, for that matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, look, uh, typhoons notwithstanding, Jack, we've got a bit of a storm uh, in Australia over Qantas. Uh, it has suffered the sort of uh, brand damage um, uh, <laughs> Uh, that is, un- you know, unlike the unlike anything we've seen from a corporate uh, uh, Australian company for a very, very long time. Alan Joyce has left as CEO two months early, um, and uh, I've just finished writing about this, Jack, um, uh, particularly about the Qatar decision, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, uh, <clears throat> but 
what has gone wrong there? I mean, basically, you know, three weeks ago, everyone was jumping up and down and the great and the good assembled uh, at Kingsford Smith uh, Airport, uh, Qantas hangar there, uh, everyone patting everyone on the back. What's gone wrong in the last three weeks? Uh, not only that, the government tried their their pet project, uh, the, the voice referendum to Qantas by doing yeah. a big launch in the hangar at Kingsford Smith. Um, uh, they've been hit by a T10 typhoon, um, uh, uh, PR-wise, uh, Qantas. Well, it's a shocker, isn't it? It's a very mm. long list. First, industrial mayhem, getting rid of, uh, well, I think 2,500 staff. 5,000. Um, no. 5,000. 5, 5, Sorry, during, thank you, Jack. Thank you for correcting me on that because that's a big, big number. Let's so industrial mayhem there. They've also uh, withheld uh, government funding uh, from the pandemic. Some five hundred million there still wait, still waiting to come out. They've also engaged in uh, what is uh, well. They've, they've been. Uh, they've been charging people uh, for tickets for, for what are known as ghost flights um, and uh, and uh, a whole raft of other things, Jack. Uh, uh, the, 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 the frequent flyer points, um, uh, they were proposing to just sunset those, about uh, $400 million worth of those. They were going to sunset them at the end of the year. That means that you would lose your entitlement to them and they would just keep the money. Yeah, that's right. So, And, then, and, and also a practice uh, called slot hoarding, Jack, mm. uh, where a number of slots for arrivals and departure, this is around the, in, 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 at the Sydney airport. At, at, uh, the busy, at the busier airports, yes. Yeah, yeah at, well, yeah, Sydney particularly. Uh, slot hoarding there where... Um, uh, uh, the, where a number of departure and arrival slots are attributed to each airline and they've been using those, again, that sort of ghosting sort of um, stuff to keep competitors out of the way. And now they're facing a lawsuit over the sale of tickets to cancelled or ghost flights again, where the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission is seeking a record $250 million fine, Jack. In fact, the uh, ACCC chair, Gina Cascot-Lieb, uh, uh, said, uh, we consider this should be a record penalty for this conduct. The ACCC is on a path of wanting to substantially increase the penalties that large corporations in relation to serious misconduct pay for failing consumers. So this is going to be an important test for us. We consider these penalties have been too low. We think the penalties should be in the hundreds of millions, not tens of millions, for breaches of keeping consumers accurately informed so that all members of our community understand what they are paying and what they are getting. That's the ACCC chair in regard to Qantas, Jack. Looks, uh, well, they're trying to impose a $250 million fine. That will go to the federal court. And, uh, and with that, Alan Joyce uh, left the building. Um, a couple of months early, $24 million golden parachute. Not a bad parachute there, mate. Geez, you should hit the ground nice and gently, wouldn't you? Um, uh, you would. 
um, and never have to worry about working another day in your life. And there are more questions to come about him. Uh, Joe Aston's been doing um, excellent work in the AFR on this. Um, He doesn't like him, does he? No. Um, uh, And they must have given him terrible service on a flight. (laughs) They must have given him – I think they did give him the bums rush at the Qantas Lounge too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Um, fact, all uh, AFR, because because, because the Finn Review had been – had been pretty strident in their, strident in their attack of uh, Qantas, uh, had denied access to Finn Review staff. Yeah, which and, uh, there's, so there's petty. An, there's an old um, there's an old saying from uh, from turn of the last century America: don't pick a fight with someone who buys ink by the gallon. <laughs> it's 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 uh, it's 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 uh, a lesson worth learning, and they're about to learn it the hard way now. But, but talk- one, one of the things Joe raised, which I think is quite interesting, is that um, uh, uh, Joyce had all these vested shares um, uh, and he's not able to dispose of them without the approval of the chairman. Um, uh, but he wanted to buy the flat next door to his place in the rocks. Um, uh, and so he, he got the chairman's permission to sell $17 million worth of Qantas shares, which were part of his um, package. Remuneration package, yes. Remuneration package. And he sold them at a time when Joe Aston says uh, perhaps he already knew that this kerfuffle with the um, ACCC was coming, which would affect the price of the shares. So um, uh, they are, the, the AFR are going in very hard indeed. Well, that's insider trading, isn't it? And uh, what that's the allegation. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be, I would think, quite difficult to prove. The Qantas share price really has gone through a little bit of a slump in the last couple of weeks. But generally speaking, uh, I, I would think most people who held shares in Qantas would be pretty pleased with Alan Joyce's 15-year period at the top. But now we get to the, the really contentious matter, and that is um, uh, the decision from the Albanese government to um, uh, to reject an offer from Qatar Airways um, uh, for a uh, a bid to include it would have actually led to about a million new a million seats on flights into and out of Australia, yes. twenty one weekly flights to add to their twenty eight. It already operates between Europe and Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne, and the government, uh, the transport minister, uh, Catherine King, rejected that. Um, and we're getting a fair bit of the who said what and when. But it, the thing that strikes me about it, Jack, is that it wasn't a decision made by Cabinet and it should have been. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, we, you and I bang on about the importance of Cabinet government to probably people on board, but uh, this is a classic example of classic example. Why, why you need it. Yeah, look, I, I've just look, I just finished writing and I just said it's not a whodunit. It's not who who said what and when. It's the it's a decision made by Catherine King unilaterally, and it's a bad decision because Qantas has while Qantas has lobbied heavily, uh, lobbied Catherine King and others, and so too have uh, Virgin um, uh, Virgin Blue, uh, the <coughs> Virgin Airlines. They they have lobbied the government extensively to keep Qatar from uh, increasing its flights into Australia. Well, um, I, I, I think I think Virgin are keen for Qatar to fly in because they, they're a kind of a co they have a co branding operation. So, um, okay, uh, well, well, fair enough. But 
but um, what Qantas has actually acknowledged that they will not be able to meet demand of international flyers in uh, people who want to fly internationally for the next five years. So it's a, it seems to me to be a, a really bad decision uh, and, and just not following the right processes. I mean, this decision should go to Cabinet because it has consequences in terms of foreign affairs. It'll have consequences in terms of industrial relations. So that's Penny Wong, Tony Burke, and they've both been chirping about this uh, recently. Um, it would also have consequences for home affairs. It is a decision that should have been taken to Cabinet. It seems and, like and, and Al- Albo was out of the loop entirely on the decision. And it's a competition question. I don't think anyone yeah. really believes that Albo was out of the loop on, on the decision at all. Um, uh, and, in fact, I think Catherine King's fighting back from being thrown under the bus because I think it looks like an elbow decision. Well, it, it will have to see. I mean, you know, the simple fact of the matter is if you take this, if the minister takes this to Cabinet, all these problems would not be occurring right now. Um, yes. Because she would have the solidarity of cabinet behind her, she would have gone through that process of knocking the burrs off uh, of, of a decision. In fact, she should have had people in that cabinet saying, "No, no, 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 we're not going to do this." Yeah, um, especially as you think think about it, um, Qatar was the number one airline for shifting stranded Australians back into the country during the pandemic. Qantas went missing entirely. Mm. Um, uh, and Qatar was the was the flew the most flights and carried the most people back into the country when flights were hard to get. There was uh, I, I look, I believe um, uh, an incident um, uh, some time ago where uh, uh, five women are currently suing uh, Qatar Airways uh, over what can only be described as fairly appalling treatment, where they were subject to body cavity searches. And there is a letter from uh, Catherine King. Uh, to I think uh, these to, to these women's uh, late, uh, legal representatives, uh, saying that the government was not considering additional bilateral air rights with Qatar Airways, and that was a letter dated the tenth of July. Um, the government was not considering additional bilateral air rights with Qatar Airways. So that means, to me, the language would indicate that the decision was already made by the tenth of July. Yes, quite um, <coughs> by Minister King, and it did not go to cabinet. You know, we we talk about good cabinet government because you know anyone who's ever been on a board or a committee of management will know that if someone comes in with what what they believe is a very very good idea, uh, then you've got other people to knock it off. That's not to say that that person's good idea can't get up. That just means that you you will have the ability to to. Um, uh, to to understand the political considerations to more more widely, uh, to perhaps amend and and, uh, and correct any sort of things that might might be a problem. There may well be legal advice that comes to the cabinet, might come to the minister or, or into the cabinet. None of that was used, Jack. So Catherine King, it must be said, member of the centre. Uh, centre-left faction of uh, of uh, Labor, uh, not in the same uh, faction as Elbow. Uh, you reckon it was Elbow who knew it all along? 
That's yep. going to be harder to prove. Much harder to prove, but it looks like that to me, um, um, and um, that's just my observation. I noticed that Wayne Swan was quick to jump in and um, yes, and, he did. Give, and give uh, uh, Qantas a bit of a kicking and give the government a bit of a, um, a, a, a kick up the bum as well about all of this. Um, and I've just noticed that um, I don't think that Elbow is getting strong support from amongst his cabinet colleagues, his cabinet comrades on this. Um, it looks to me like um, uh, it was an elbow decision um, where he said to Catherine King, that's what you should do. Um, and, and Elbow's been terribly close to Alan Joyce for a long time. Um, he was the Minister for a Shadow Minister for Aviation, Minister for Transport at one stage in the yes. when still in government. Um, and and you throw in what's really an irrelevancy, but the fact that um, Alan Joyce just gave his son a chairman's lounge membership, um, it all looks like, and the public are, will be seeing this, like it was an elbow decision that's gone awfully wrong. Yeah, overtly to me, it looks like a decision that should have gone to the Cabinet for, oh, decision, I agree. for yeah. decision. And, and, and it therefore, cap- it would have been shrouded. The whole process would have been shrouded behind cabinet behind the Cabinet yeah. walls, first thing, so no scandal. Secondly, you've got the accountability of Cabinet and you've got that process which knocks the burrs off any bad decision that a minister can come up with and more broadly takes a, 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 examines the decision from a point of view beyond a sort of narrow remit of the of the minister the answer uh, is the answer is that uh, captain's picks as they've taken to calling them from prime ministers are nearly always a bad idea um, yeah. I noticed that um, Redbridge had some polling uh, on the net this morning uh, of what the public thought about whether Qatar should have got some more slots um, it's 56 percent saying yes 12 percent saying no uh, and thirty percent undecided. So that's damning. That's that's that means the politics of this was just awful. And if awful. you had, if you had a whole cabinet room sitting around, they would have seen this coming and said, "No, nah, this is a bad plan." Yeah, uh, absolutely. And and look, it, it's one of those things. I mean, I think, and I mentioned this in my column today, that what we saw within the early months of the of, of the Albanese government was a, a return to good cabinet government. And 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 I think naturally, I think people have a, an instinctive understanding for this in po- of of yep. politics, uh, and they see, you know, um, uh, promises made being supported by action, uh, going through a cabinet process, uh, and and necessarily. Uh, the elbows uh, uh, approval ratings and uh, the Labor Party's polling went up beyond what uh, what it won the election in in uh, well in, in last year in last last year's federal election um, and now if you really want to if you really want to make a mess of things this is kind of how you do it you you have those captains picks there's a absolute gem of one that Morrison was involved in, including a $2 million funding for a company, not for a company, but for a religious, shall we say, organisation, a counselling organisation that was in the business of um, um, uh, 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 stopping people from being gay, Jack, and all this sort of stuff, which is sort of bubbling away in the, in the Guardian. These terrible, terrible decisions made unilaterally. Tony Abbott's knighthoods was a captain's pick. Captain's picks, yeah. That's one of my, one of my favourites. That wouldn't have got any. That would have lasted about ten minutes in a cabinet discussion. They would have said, "No, no Tony, um, <laughs> Tony, uh, 
Tony, just look, you know, just, uh, and, just and back off, a, mate. And there was a couple of couple when my old pal Julia Gillard was prime minister that I can't remember the details of, but she had a couple of captains' picks, and they're nearly always a bad idea. Oh, I think the captain's pick. That was the, the, the. It's the first time I remember the captain's pick because I think actually Abbott used the words. Used he did. It's the captain's pick. I can certainly recall um, uh, Prime Minister Gillard using them about um, uh, plonking uh, Nova Paris into the Senate. She said it was a captain's pick, and that caused all sorts of trouble up in the Northern Territory. Yeah, well, um, captains picks are not a good idea. It's one reason, one of the reasons why we shouldn't make captain selectors, Jack. But that's yeah, a sporting that's... matter entirely. But yeah, look, let's say this about Qantas. Um, uh, this was from one of our listeners this, this morning on the text machine. There's been a very cosy relationship with Qantas and the government for years, governments yes. of both kinds. Um, he says, I'm all for some protection of the national carrier, and I think probably most of us are. We like to have a, an, an Aussie airline. I'm not sure. But, but competition must still be permitted and without protection. Um QF, Qantas would have disappeared as its product is so poor without um, some protection. I think that's probably right. They're not a great airline. Yeah. Look, that, to be fair to Qantas, they are under, you know, they are under, they are competing against companies like Qatar Airways that, that are not the only ones, but um, in Emirates. the market. Market is dominated in the Emirates and elsewhere. And why? Because they have a bottomless pit of um, uh, petrodollars to spend is part of the thing. There's that. But they also have, you know, really, really low labour costs as well. Yes. So um, so it is difficult to have that, that uh, what we all love and want and desire in terms of uh, in terms of being a consumer, uh, the level playing field, but um, uh, yeah, look, I think I think they've, they've just got the process entirely wrong here, and it's a lesson for them that is the Albanese government to get things right, to get processes right, um, and if they're covering up for, for the for the PM, if the, if what you say is correct. Uh, uh, Jack, then that's a very, very important lesson for Albanese to to um, to re- to remember as well. I mean, Hawkey had a few captains' picks along the way, but generally speaking, it was good cabinet government uh, that allowed his government to not just survive but to prosper. And, and to, to me, the fact that I think there's been quite a bit of pushback from the comrades is a wholly good thing. Yeah, uh, and, and look, at the, at the end of the day, people are paying well over the odds for international travel. And you might think, well, you know, if, you're, if uh, you're, you're able to afford a bit of international travel, perhaps it's okay that you should spend a bit more. But, it, but it, it's just a, it's a decision made on the basis that Qantas couldn't fill the demand anyway. Yes. So but that's it, why it, it's, it's nuts. It, it's not, not just with... Um, with uh, international travel, um, I saw a, a note from someone the other day that they paid seven hundred bucks to, to fly one way from Melbourne to Canberra um, uh, last week. Yeah, uh, just came across uh, a, an Al Jazeera report where some poor bugger had to pay six thousand dollars to fly to an Indo- Indonesian uh, Indonesian island, not Bali, uh, and the normal fare is four hundred bucks. Hmm. So, you know, this sort of stuff, it's a reminder to the government 
it's it's not the shock and scandal, and I know Peter Dutton will want to continue to prosecute this, and they'll be sniffing a little bit of uh, blood in the water, uh, that sort of stuff. As, but, as they should be. Ah, oh, well, yeah, absolutely, but but you know that's what that's that's kind of what they're doing, but we'll get to where they are shortly in terms of polling. But um, uh, there's always the. There's always an aversion, I think, uh, in the Australian community to oppositions who moan and whine and whinge too long, but they should be sniffing this one out. Yeah, um, and, <laughs> and there's a long-standing history of people getting upset with people using VIP flights, and uh, and poor Richard Miles is getting it um, uh, in the backside about, about that at the moment as well. But that that, that goes back to Harold Holt days. Um, uh, the uh, the arguments about who's who uses how much of VIP flights. Bronwyn Bishop, Harold Holt. It's a long history of this. Yeah, indeed. All right, let's move on now to the voice. And the polling around the voice is pretty grim if you're a supporter of the yes, um, uh, if you're a supporter of the yes vote. Um, but it seems like some people just don't accept that the polling's so bad, Jack. The yes, polling's the, wrong. Yeah, the polling is all wrong. And people have been giving your organisation, uh, uh, News Corp, uh, a fair old kicking about this. By the way, just before we go on with the voice, while I think about it, um, 2nd of October, the early voting opens. We, we said we would check that um, last week. <coughs> Thank you. Um, Thank you, is, yes. And, and there's and some is, sort of... It is, there, it is there, I think I think it starts a day later in Queensland because of a public holiday but um, uh, and because they're a bit behind. Um, uh, but uh, just a day, just a day. We'll just stick with the day. <laughs> yes, uh, but there's a couple of weeks of early voting. If, if a couple of weeks. Right. Thank you for that. And uh, and of course, you can in fact vote postal. And there's been a bit of a kerfuffle there because in the last federal election, um, uh, both parties, both major parties, had a. If you want to vote postal, click on this, and it'll take you to a website. It was actually a um, either Labor or Liberal Party website, and the, and the Libs are doing that as well. And and you leave your data there, so <laughs> you can you can expect to uh, get a little tap on the shoulder uh, for uh, for a lazy lobster or a pineapple every now and then from the Liberal Party. Yeah, um, or or, um, or or someone selling you a, a timeshare in your phone or Yeah, yeah. God only knows what happens to the data, but um, eventually. And 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 look, I must also say, Jack, that that. Uh, after the uh, referendum was announced last Tuesday, I think it was, um, and we're recording on the 6th of September, uh, that uh, that uh, um, uh, Peter Dutton put his uh, name on an email from the Liberal Party saying, you know, we, we, we will do what we can to stop this evil. Uh, I am paraphrasing. Uh, but, uh, uh, but we need your help, so can you fling us a few bucks? And I thought, that's a bit odd. Isn't uh, Julian Lisa actually out there, um, former uh, former former uh, uh, opposition spokesman for Indigenous Affairs? Isn't he out there campaign- campaigning for the voice for the yes vote? Aren't there a number of state uh, premiers, a number of backbenchers in the Liberal Party? I thought that was a bit odd. Sling us a few bucks, well, and think, think, where's the money going to go? By the way. I think the party's um, position is that they're opposed to it, so he's perfectly entitled to raise money for it, but who knows where party funds go. That's, the, that's, that's not a rabbit hole we want to go down. Oh, just, just, we'll want to make, come just want to make one point about the polls. Yeah. Um, at, at the moment, 
Uh, um, I think the news polls got um, uh, uh, the no, uh, the no vote at about fifty three percent. Yeah, majority. Uh, it is. It, it, it touched and, the majority. And, and, and I think Essential has the no vote at forty eight. Yeah. Um, um, I think I saw yesterday that, that the Essential was the poll at the. The, the Fairfax Press, the old Fair, the, the nine. No, nah, Guardian, Guardian now with Guardian. Yeah, now with Guardian. I think it's a fairly reliable polling, just to explain to our listeners. Um, news poll, just going back to news poll, news polls had uh, a fairly significant shift or change of uh, personnel, and that's why they hadn't been polling for mm, almost two months. Uh, and so this is their first time. Um, uh, I, I, but, I, but my understanding of oh, looking at the data and knowing the methodology, I would say it, it's a long way from being a rogue poll. Um, uh, the voice reached into the 53, as you say, or the no, the, the no vote, the no position reached into 53. There was also a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a decline for Anthony Albanese's uh, approval ratings. Uh, Labor still ahead, two-party preferred, 57-43. We'll get to that a bit more. We'll do a bit more analysis on that in a minute. While we're, while we're on the voice polling, uh, one thing we need to understand that um, 50% yes vote almost certainly will, will, will fail the referendum. They, they're going to need to be at least 52, more likely 54 yes, to get the double majority. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's right. And um, look, the other thing I just wanted to say about essential polling, essential polling is done online. Now, you might think online polling, that sounds like one of those, you know, Sky News, yes or no. <laughs> or, or, or or Peter Fitzsimons doing a Twitter poll of his week. <laughs> right, you know? but it's, it, it is far more scientific than that. There, there are a set group well, of people thanks, that they go to all the that. time. <laughs> there, there are difficulties. It, it, is, it is not the same. Referendum polling... You know, we're 23, 24 years away from the last one. Referendum polling is probably a little bit, you might think it's easier because it's yes or no, um, um, but it, it's more difficult, I think, in many ways to get it right um, uh, 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 other than political persuasion and and uh, PM and leader of the opposition approval ratings and things like that. I think that's it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, if you got a phone call, Jack, at 5.30 in the evening and you're whipping up a beautiful meal uh, and you're in the middle of that and then you get a phone call from a polling company asking you for a simple yes or no answer, you're going to say, bugger off, no. So there can be a little bit of, there can be a sort of innate, uh, innate sort of skewing of things a little bit. So, um, uh, look, the polling's not good for the yes um Position. Yeah, they're a long way off a chance at the moment. One thing, one thing's interesting is that the betting companies are not taking bets on it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of right, isn't it? Just in terms of their own public relations, I think that's probably as, as challenging as they are. Um, it's probably not the, uh, the the right way to go uh, on this. Um yeah, but, but in, in terms of how, how it's going, I hear what you say about it's easy just to say no. Um, uh, but you know, even when the even when the yes vote were in front in the polling, I didn't think it would win. Um, uh, and where we are now, I think there's almost no chance of succeeding. Um, uh, and this is what Malcolm Turnbull said in 2017 when when he rejected the proposal. He said, at, at in front of an audience at Oxford, there's zero chance of this getting up. 
Um, and well, he's changed his mind now. Yes, Jack. I know he's, he's I, I, a I know, fervent supporter I, now, Jaggy. Uh, he's had a bit of a think about it. No, 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 no. I do. I, I just really want to revisit that. You know, the the process involved in the rejection of the voice by the Turnbull government because it speaks a lot about Malcolm Turnbull, and I quite like Malcolm. Know him, you know, I wouldn't say I know him well, but we've had conversations about politics and all sorts of things over the journey. Um, Malcolm Turnbull's government rejected the voice, uh, and they didn't just do that; they they actually let a rip uh, in a in a government statement that was released on a Friday afternoon back in, I guess, about twenty sixteen uh, at six thirty to miss the news. It was. A very cynical exercise, Jack. But now yeah. he's all for it. He's had a rethink. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and look, I've got I've got no problem with people changing their mind. Oh, no, no, no. Look, I'm, I, I am just simply simply having a go. Look, I, if, if you want, I, I think they should from time to time change their mind. Um, what I was talking about was his assessment of his chances of success, and I think he was right, that that bit he was right about. This was, um, in my view, always very unlikely to succeed. And the way the, the way the government went about it was very poor. And, and I don't want to slander Malcolm Turnbull. As I say, I, I, I get on quite well with him, and, and, and I quite like his company. But if we remember, he was in charge of the yes vote in the last referendum, um, and he famously, when it was vanquished and utterly vanquished, didn't get a majority in any state. Uh, uh, he 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 said that John Howard had. You might remember it. Broken the heart of the nation, Jack, and uh, uh, and I witness to a uh, a meeting uh, at Malcolm's place with uh, art critic Robert Hughes. Uh, went a little bit further, including uh, uh, a, a, an eyewitness account that said, "I've never heard swearing like it." Um, <laughs> Uh, just, and this man was pretty good, pretty good on the profanity. Um, just, just for our listeners, uh, the art critic Robert Hughes is um, uh, uh, Malcolm's brother-in-law, I think. That's right, uh, indeed. Yeah, so they were... Uh, a brother-in-law or uncle-in-law, I can't remember which. Yeah. I think it is uncle-in-law. Yeah. And um, uh, and uh, and so they were, they were uh, giving uh, John Howard a bit of a pasting there. And then about six months later, Jack, Malcolm Turnbull was writing the odd speech for John Howard. So yeah. flexibility is the answer, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, bit of bit of moral flexibility is yeah. the what, answer what, there. What, um, what, the, what the government didn't do, and this is where they got themselves into trouble, they needed to have a proper public consultation. And that's a two-way process. Firstly, you get a chance to persuade the wider public of why you want to do this, and you also get a chance to listen to them and work out just what they would accept. And you do this before you write the proposal, and the government didn't do that at all. Yeah. Uh, look, you've spoken about this, and I do agree with you there. We do have a, a position from the no vote. I understand what they're saying. I understand the tactic perfectly well, but their slogan is, if you don't, if you don't know, vote no, which is very compelling, but it is also saying to people, we think you might be a bit lazy. We don't really want you to inform yourself. I, I, I think there's a real problem with that particular approach. Um, but um, one of the reasons that works is there's enough ambiguity in the proposal. Um, uh, there's enough things that even the yes advocates really can't agree on. Um, and, and ambiguity 
uh, in the proposal is death. Yeah, understand. But this idea, I mean, look, it's, it's been a time-honoured tactic if you don't know, don't know. And I yeah. think John Howard used it. I think Paul Keating used it uh, in regard to the GST. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, and Peter Dutton and others are using it at the moment. Like they got it out of the cupboard and dusted it off. <laughs> dusted sure it off. I'm not so sure that it stands up in a referendum question because if it's like so you're six weeks out. If you don't know, don't know. You know, no, no, God, God forbid that you should go and inform yourself. I, I appreciate and respect what you're saying about bringing Australians along with this decision making. Why that wasn't done? When we get to captain's picks, Jack, we've been talking a bit about captain's picks today. Frank Brennan uh, said of Anthony Albanese that he had made three captain's picks. First, he went to the Gama Festival and announced the Pearson Davis Anderson proposal as the prefer- preferred model of words for. In- the inclusion in the Constitution. Uh, second, the Prime Minister abandoned any idea of a constitutional convention or Parliament-sponsored process for public involvement in the design of the constitutional on, on, in the design of the constitutional provision. And that, I mean, I would think that a constitutional convention probably wasn't the right vehicle, but it's part of that information process. But that there are any number about. of ways you could do that. It hasn't got to be a constitutional convention. No. Uh, and third, according to Frank Brennan, he appointed an eight-member constitutional expert group, including Toomey, Saunders, Williams and Davis, all of whom had previously recommended some form of public cross-party process, but who now were locked into confidential government negotiations with the hand-picked group of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander representatives. Um all right, so now, and this is in regard to the wording, and there, there is there is some sort of uh, you know, claim that the wording is too open, uh, and that could lead to a majority yes vote without people understanding what they're actually voting for. Is that is that what Frank and others are complaining about, Jack? Um, no, Louise Clegg uh, makes that point. Um, she's got a point. I don't know how far it carries, and not very far at all. Um, um, and in any event, as I said last week, I don't think the yes vote is going to get close enough for these things to make a difference. All right. And, of course... I mean, part, part of this is a, is a problem that's around the world. It's sort of a distinction between... Um, they didn't take the, the, the people with them in the whole process of deciding what we should do, and that's a, a fatal error. Um, but there's a kind of distinction between, even amongst progressives, between what I call the Martin Luther King progressives who think that um, we, should be, we should be looking for a colourblind society, that we should treat everyone the same. Um, as opposed to what I'd call a positive discrimination progressives who think that because racism's being so bad, what we now need to do is to positively discriminate um, in favour of one group. Um, And that's a kind of a tricky little thing to line up. Um, And and the positive discrimination, people find it hard when the the question goes through the general population. Um, uh, in, In California, absolutely a progressive state, um, um, they they are the, one of the few states in the United States where um, uh, racial discrimination on the base uh, for for college entrance uh, or employment is just not allowed. So there's no affirmative action allowed for employment or for um, uh, for college admission in California mm. because yeah. they put it to a they put it to a vote, and when you put that to the wider community, the positive discrimination end of the progressive thing tends to fail. 
Yeah, except to say we're not talking about. I mean, we're 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 sort of apples and oranges, aren't we here? Because when we get to indigenous populations, particularly uh, in in remote Australia, we're talking about people who simply don't have anywhere near the same crack at life as the rest of us do. And and, and, and <coughs> if you if you were trying to set up something for remote Aboriginals that would be really easy to do. That would be very popular. But because it's not just that, um, uh, it, it, it applies to every person who's got some connection or is Indigenous, um, that troubles people, I think. Yeah, having a bit of a conversation uh, about that with a colleague yesterday who uh, made the same sort of point. One of our listeners, uh, Alistair, um, uh, sent me uh, what he said his, uh, is his two cents about the voice, Jack. Now, you haven't read this, but I'll I'll give you a summary. It's, uh, it's, it's a fairly long thing. He said, if we put aside the constitutional recognition bit, the main change is to set up an advisory body to federal government that filters up advice from local and then regional Aboriginal bodies on policy and operations that affect Aboriginal, I'm not going to type out in Torres Strait Islands each time, fair enough, Alistair, um, uh, uh, that, uh, up and then regional Australia on policy and operations that treats Indigenous Australians differently and gives that non-binding advice to federal government. That's it in its essence. And I've yet to hear one good argument why making non-binding advice available to decision makers from a group affected by their decisions is a bad thing. He goes on to explain that um, uh, he, he was part of a project managed for the BBC for the largest e-learning project Europe had seen with a budget bigger than the referendum cost, um, a curriculum-based learning that was going out to all school-aged kids in the UK. Part of the UK, at least for now, is Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, he, he writes, and some of these people speak Celtic languages. They were a minority of the people who we were making the content for, but they were part of it. They were stakeholders with their own needs and wishes, just as Indigenous people are stakeholders in our country. We could have just pushed ahead, made decisions about what we thought we they might like or need or just ignore them, but we didn't. We consulted them and hired them on the project. So that's kind of, you know, what he's talking about there. We, we, could, have, we could have thought about them, we could have consulted or we could have just ignored them, um, but we didn't. We, he says we consulted them and hired them on the project. They told us how important making learning resources are for young people to stick with their local language rather than English. That's a bit contrary to... Um, uh, the uh, some of the no vote proposition learn English or 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 or, uh, or, 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 or be forever impoverished. Um, um, so what do you make of that, Jack? I mean, really, we are just talking about an advisory body, aren't we? Yeah, and just- and, and Peter Peter Harsh has been all over this, making long lists of all the other advisory bodies. Well, it's that true, talk, talk isn't it? And, and that's a really good argument up to this point. None of those bodies have a, have a chapter in the Constitution. They're not constitutionally guaranteed. And that's what people are unhappy about. Um, well, no, that's, that's, that's correct. But the, the point is, if, it's, if the voice itself, as an advisory body to the executive, the parliament, the bureaucracy, is not included in the referendum, then along comes one government of one particular stripe and knocks it off. And we've seen this because Howard killed off ATSIC. Um, well, ATSIC, ATSIC, was, ATSIC was killed off with, with cross-party support, I've got to say, because it was a disaster. And, and you just can't persuade people to change the Constitution um, uh, very easily, right? Um, and sticking this in the Constitution was an error. 
well, would, perhaps without consultation, but the simple fact of the matter is if it doesn't go into the Constitution, it can be killed. Now, I understand it can be killed legislatively. Uh, it can be killed by le- legislative instrument. Now, I think people like Peter Dutton, who are sharp, um, uh, uh, Machiavellian um, political players, are looking at this from, let's say, a conservative government 10 years from now, having to deal with the voice, uh, a group of 24 Indigenous Australians elected by uh, other Indigenous Australians, uh having clashes with the government, making advice that's ignored, that sort of thing. And that comes with its own sort of political consequences for a a government of the day. It will have consequences for a government of the day that choose not to um, or choose to ignore advice from the voice, particularly where it it comes from... um, um, uh, specific um, uh, matters relating to Indigenous Australians. And I think that's what they see. And I think people like Peter Dutton are smart enough to realise that this is, you know, this is, a, this is a political problem for them down further down the line, and that's why they oppose it. Yeah, it could be. I think he's also thought he'd probably lose his job as leader of the opposition if he didn't oppose it. But that's because I think that's <laughs> well. Well, this is an interesting conversation to have because, and we'll go on to our polling next. But um, where are there political consequences? What happens if, if the no vote gets up, as the polling is saying? Does Albert, does the gloss come off Albanese? Is it sort of a slippery slope towards electoral destruction in uh, in a year or so's time? What happens no. if the yes vote gets up and, and and it should Peter Dutton table his resignation at the next at the next Liberal Party room meeting? No, no, the, um, um, a yes win wouldn't cost Peter Dutton his job as. Leader of the opposition, um, no. because because the party is um, uh, fairly not, not universally, but fairly firmly behind his position on this, uh, and will remain so. Um, uh, a little bark would come off elbow if there is a no vote, um, because there will be some people um, like me um, who think that um, uh, they made a mess of it. That, yeah. that bad decisions were made. And as Frank Brennan put it out, there were three captain's picks by elbow and they were all wrong. Um, and um, so you, you lose a bit of bark when when that when you do that. Um, and generally, anyway, the gloss, we'll, we'll get to this, the gloss has come off the government a little bit, as it was always going to do, um, as it always happens with governments, is eventually the, the honeymoon gloss falls off. The gloss lasted a bit longer than normal because... Um, of two things that happened. One, uh, voters decide, discovered that the Labor government wasn't going to be as bad as they thought it might have been. Um, and they also discovered that the Liberal, with all the revelations about Morrison, um, they discovered that the Liberal government they just chucked out was worse than they thought it was when they chucked it out. So that made the honeymoon period last a bit longer. But um, there's always political costs in this. But uh, I don't think it's going to change. It doesn't matter what the result is. It's not going to change politics in Australia. No, I, tend, I, I agree with you on that. And, and that takes us into some polling. And this was some polling published uh, for Sky News. Now, this has all voters, 54 uh, on a two-party preferred basis, uh, 37 
38% primary vote for for Labor, 36 for the Coalition, 13 for the just, Greens. Just, be, just before we leave... No, the, no, 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 no. we've got to stick with this. We've got to stick with this. We've got to stick, no, well, we stick with this, mate. We can't have this, you know, you you think of something after five minutes. We're just going to go no, with this. No, no, no. I want to make the ad. Oh, look, I do apologise here. Yeah, let, let's talk about the ad, the voice you're talking about. Yeah. Because um, this, the social media has been full of how this is going to change the world, the, uh, the, the ad for the voice. Um, uh, look, uh, <laughs> people feel very, very strongly about Johnny Farnham. He hasn't been seen in public uh, since his uh, uh, cancer, I think cancer of the jaw, which required surgery. Um, there are some big moments that will take place in the in in the. Um, in the country over the next five or six weeks. There might be a few surprises that might change things a little bit. Um, uh, so Farnham, who actually didn't write um, the music uh, or the music or the words for The Voice, has given his imprimatur to The Voice. There must be some rights. He must hold some rights over that song. The song itself was written by... Um, Two English uh, people. Yeah, one one uh, was you know, sort of almost a sort of songwriting genius who who, who wrote um, uh, wrote for Procol Harum Harum going back um, going back many many years, um, but obviously they don't hold the rights and the rights have been purchased. So um, uh, so it, it is Farnham's to hand over. I noticed Paul Kelly has also written a song, um, and uh, Jacinta Price. Uh, came forward on Twitter to wonder whether he was on a government kickback. And that kind of bothers me, Jack. Why is the no case? Why do they think the worst of people? Oh, I don't know why they do that either. I must say, I think they're cruising to victory. Um, so I don't, all the stuff they do like that just harms their prospects. I mean, but, but then so much of the campaigning on both sides has been harming their own prospects. All right. Now, we are going to get to the polling, if you don't mind. And yeah, we are going fine. to get to the polling here. I, and, I just, thought, just thought that was an important bit of news. And no, we no, fair on. enough, fair enough, fair enough. But we need we need to do this. So, uh, you know, this is fairly detailed stuff. And, and I'd refer listeners to my Twitter feed where you'll see it um, uh, fairly high up as a, as a retweet. Um, this is this is the Redbridge Group polling you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Redbridge Group polling. Um, uh, so all voters... Primary vote, 37 Labor, 36 Coalition, 13 Greens, 14 others, uh, including Fon, etc., uh, which leads you to a 54.1 to a 45.9. Now, that's bigger than the last federal election. Um, uh, women are 54.46. Men are 54.46. So the idea that women were, you know, the progressives amongst us and um, uh, is, is not really sustainable. And then we get to the other demographics, and gee whiz, it's bad news for the coalition. Um, aged eighteen to thirty-four is sixty-one thirty-nine. Labor's favour now that fairly predictable. Aged thirty-five to forty-nine is fifty-nine forty-one in Labor's favour. Aged fifty to sixty-four, this is the one that really staggered me. Fifty-nine to forty-one, uh, and then sixty-five and older uh, is thirty-eight. Labor 62 coalition. So a significant shift there. Let's bear in mind uh, that people over the age of 80 don't have to vote in this country. Um, and uh, so you've really, well, you've got, you've got a bit more than a 15-year block there, but um, that's really the only thing 
getting them in the game. Further on the demographics, in a metropolitan votes, you'd expect that to skew heavily to Labor. It's 55-45. Outer metropolitan is 54-46 in Labor's favour. Provincial, and this is devi- defined as a sort of regional group, uh, uh, places where I live, for example, outside of cities, um, uh, um, Geelong, Newcastle, those sorts of places, um, uh, and, and in that group, it's 50-50. Rural, 56-44 in Labor's favour. Wow. Now, that's, that's the one that surprised me. And, yeah. and it's just a little bit – you want to see a couple of polls in a row with this because um, uh, the, the methodology – That's a staggering figure, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, a staggering the, the, figure, if true. But, but the, the methodology and the margin for error increases the more you're covered in the smaller demographic that's right, that's groups. Right. You, are, you, are, you, are, you are, but that, that is so, a staggering so I, figure. So I, I, I would want to see a couple, with particularly the rural one, I'd want to see a couple of polls in a row before I thought that was necessarily holding up. Okay. At education, the demographics on education, less than year 12, uh, the coalition lead uh, Labor 55-45. Uh, it's for people who have uh, not com- not completed their uh, their year twelve education. Year twelve or equivalent is sixty forty in Labor's favour. TAFE trade or vocational is fifty fifty, and university degree is sixty one thirty nine in Labor's favour. Uh, and then we get into uh, income. Uh, and in the prefer not to say it's fifty two forty eight, uh, less than fifty thousand dollars a year is fifty three forty seven in Labor's favour. Fifty thousand to eighty thousand is fifty five forty five in Labor's favour. Eighty thousand to one hundred and twenty thousand is fifty seven forty three. Hundred and twenty thousand to two hundred thousand, you would think. You would think this will work for them, but it's fifty four forty six. And for those people on more than 200 large a year, uh, the coalition wins that one, uh, 55-45. And those are staggering stats for me. The age group really is the one that looks very, very ugly for the coalition going forward. Yeah, it does. Well, the, the, the figures overall are pretty ugly for the coalition going forward. They've gone backwards since a bad election loss. Um, if the election, the new election was held next week, they'd, they'd be even even bigger trouble. So they're not, not in a good way. Um, the young people's vote um, was interesting. I had a look at what's happening in Canada, um, and the reverse has happened there, where their Conservative Party, uh, equivalent to our Liberal Party, um, actually leads the Liberal Party, which is our Labor Party, um, that leads Trudeau's government in the under 35s. Um, uh, and I was trying to uh, trying to do a bit of a dig around to try and find that why that was happening. And one of the things that they've done is made moves or made promises that they will uh, free up construction of new housing to bring the cost of housing down. Um, and I wonder whether that's a possibility mm. that comes in for well. the Conservative parties in Australia. Yeah, no, we have talked about this because it is the big thing. 
in, in, in Australian politics, in my view. It is the big issue. And we've got this have-not, this growing group of have-nots, and we've seen this sort of expressed through the age demographic breakdowns there, who are not in, who are not in, you know, they're not able to buy their own homes where they would like to buy their own homes. And you think, well, you know, why aren't you being so choosy? Why don't you go and live in the regions? It's not so easy for people to make that. And they, and they look at the people who have, and then they find out that the haves have a number of properties uh, that they rent out to them and jack up the rent whenever they like. So there's, so there's that sort of haves and have-nots, and it's really not an issue of saying, well, let's address this by increasing supply. Let's in, let's let's address this by increasing supply of of a socially affordable housing, uh, those sorts of things. Because if you build affordable housing next to someone who's already bought one, bought a house off their own back with a mortgage that they're sweating to pay, they're not going to be terribly happy about this. So th- these are really big intractable problems. I've called but, for a housing but, summit, Jack. No one's but, listening but, yet. No, we, we think you called for that a week ago. It hasn't happened yet. Give it some time. Um, uh, it was two weeks ago you called for that? Um, but, <laughs> two weeks, yeah, two weeks ago. Two, two weeks ago. Disappointed it hasn't been taken up yet. Yeah, yeah, Disappointed it hasn't been held yet. Yeah. The, um, but it, it, it certainly is a, um, uh, a soft spot for, for all political parties. If someone comes up with some kind of um, uh, – not even a solution, but some kind of a campaign that can hold out the hope that they can fix the haves and have not question, they're going to go pretty well politically. Indeed. Now, we want to have a look uh, at the premiership of uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk. It She's may be back coming in the country, to I believe. I saw it on the television Jack. last night. Um, yes, and, and, and it... And it it remains to be seen whether this this is part of an orderly transition, uh, or whether it's nothing much at all, or indeed there'll be a spill. Um, and uh, firstly, we should say that it's very hard to um, force a premier out um, through a democratic process. And one of Kevin Rudd's any, still, any political leader, mate. Uh, yeah. well, what did well, no, no, say? Errol died it to the chair. But particularly post. Um, uh, Rudd's second prime ministership, he caused the Labor Party to change the rules around the country to make it very difficult to to boot out a um, a, a sitting premier or a prime minister. Um, I think that was a mistake. It ought to be relatively straightforward to boot them out because you need that flexibility. Um, so um, the, the process to get rid of um, Anastasia Palaszczuk through democratic means within the party is difficult. So the only real way she's going to be pushed out is if the factions come together and left and the right come together and say, I'm sorry, you're finished. All right. Well, we've got a little bit of a a listener contribution here. This is from Harry, uh, and I replied to Harry, but uh, he said, Palaszczuk was lucky getting pre-selected, pre-selection for Inawa, uh, a uh, state uh, seat in Brisbane, in that her dad was the incumbent. She does qualify as one of the state's great premiers, Harry says. That's because she turfed the Newman government from an unwinnable major- minority, plus she navigated the state through the pandemic by being humble enough to step back and allow Janet Young, stop laughing please Jack, to fully exercise her unique legislative legislative powers. She did this under great pressure from a federal LMP, federal government under Australia's weirdest PM. Got to agree on that characterisation. Um Janet, Janet Young's now the uh, the, the governor. governor the, the, yeah, she's the governor of Queensland. Um, that's, I, that, I, that's what I call failing upwards. 
I, I, I'd, <laughs> I, I'd said, I said I'd argue that Newman shot himself because he, <laughs> well, I, I did swear a bit, because an idiot with zero political connection to all but about 10% of the electorate. Uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk was the beneficiary. It hasn't been a bad government, I said, as far as I can tell, but it's getting fat and lazy now. And he replied with a fair enough. But thank you for your comments, uh, Harry. Um, um we just want to say that uh, that uh, the uh, the issue with Anastasia Palaszczuk and Labor in Queensland generally is that he's, he's, she's actually got a pretty hard, uh, ambitious uh, opposition leader to deal with. Yeah, he looks pretty. He looks pretty competent, really, doesn't he? He supports a voice too, Jack. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, just saying, just saying. Um, now, there's a uh, hell of a lot of good people supporting the voice. I just don't think there's enough of them. Right? Yeah, no, <laughs> that's certainly the polling is indicating that. Um, uh, over to the states now, Jack. And the only thing that counts there really going is, is Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump's trial should they be televised? I, I, I absolutely believe that the DC matter must be televised. Uh, uh, I, don't think, I don't think the DC one is going to be televised. No, um, it, don't, it won't be. They, they, um, those are, they the, just the, don't. The, 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 the judge in Georgia has announced that um, that will be televised. Oh, gee, that'll be like the, that'll be like the moon landing, won't it? I mean, <laughs> be a big audience there. We expect uh, a lot of uh, uh, big, a lot of money spent on production quality too. Thank you. Biggest biggest thing since the OJ trial. Um, now there's uh, there's also a bit of a shift to have Donald Trump. This is from within the Republican Party or sectors of it to have him removed from the ballot, Jack. In yes. a primary, and we're not talking about 2024 election, uh, presidential election, we're talking about taking him off the primary. Yep, so I believe. Uh, what have we got? Arizona, Michigan, New Hampshire, which is, uh, I think, if not the first, well, it's the first primary, the Iowa caucus comes ahead of that, I think, um, they're, uh, although they're literally just days apart. But those uh, Republicans in, in those states, um, and, and this is starting to gain a bit of momentum, are talking about taking Trump off the ballot under basically, well, it's certainly referring to the 14th Amendment, which is, Jack? Um, uh, th- th- that allows to take some uh, – uh, it makes someone ineligible if they're guilty of insurrection against the state. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just the Republicans doing this. There is a, oh, yeah. it's a whole, whole series of, um, of Democrat academics who, who think that this is a solution to their problem, is that they can um, prevent – Trump from being a candidate by issue of the 14th Amendment. As I, I'm not an American lawyer by any means, but as I understand it, this is a state-by-state process because the, unlike in Australia, the elections are not conducted by a, a United States electorate commission. They're conducted on a state-by-state basis. And the Secretary of State in each state would um, determine who can be a candidate. So you would need to persuade all of those yeah. secretaries of state that Trump, it seems a bit forlorn. I, it uh, seems a bit forlorn. I, I did read uh, when New, Ham- New Hampshire were the first were the first uh, uh, ones to uh, to talk about this, and and uh, it did seem a little bit forlorn. Now, just very briefly, Trump is forty six points ahead of his nearest competitor in polling for the GOP nomination. I think. Um, yep. 
I, I, I think the Florida government, RD, Florida governor RDS, is sitting around thirteen percent. He is going backwards, Jack. He's going backwards. Uh, and Biden approval, well, it's kind of where Trump was in 2020, and about negative 14. Um, and, 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 and Trump's, uh, uh, on, on the real clear politics average, is a point in front of uh, Biden for the general. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and the, I, I, but I, interestingly, neither, neither of them are popular. Um, in fact, pretty no. much, I think one, one thing you could say for sure is the American public public don't want either of them to be president after 2024. A little bit of interesting news there that those that that, that it is thought that those who seek to make um, uh, a profit from selling merchandise with the Trumpsters, now very famous mugshot, um, uh, uh, taken at Fulton County, Georgia, uh, uh, there may be there may be sort of legal breaches there. I know the Trump campaign certainly has sold a whole swag of T-shirts and things like that. But there are others, of course, doing it as well, uh, than, using than, the mugshot for amusing, uh, amusing slogans underneath and what have you. Yeah, more than $10 million, I think, the Trump campaign's taken on. Uh, yeah, but there are others as well. Um, and, and, look, it did – we were chatting about this before we started recording, but it was most amusing uh, to see that uh, when the when the, when the Trump's uh, mugshot was taken, he, he came in, I think, at about 6 6'1", 6'1"? 6'2", I think. 6'2". It was 6'2", wasn't it? I don't think he's that tall. And 97 kilograms. I thought, oh, come on. Come on. Mm. I think one of his ass cheeks weighs about 80. Yeah, um, no, well, well uh, my answer to that was I think he's gone in there, had the mugshot taken, and and, uh, and, the, and the person filling in the form said, uh, height, six foot two, yeah, okay, uh, weight, 97 kilos. He's, yeah. just, he's just asked him. He said, oh, yeah, I'm a 97, and he's yeah, giving well, him the ideal well, weight. He's giving yeah, him well, the ideal weight. I've been off the KFC. Um, yeah. All right. Um <laughs> Uh, we're just going to move over to the Ukraine stuff, Jack. We want to do a little bit, a little bit something. The Abraham's tanks are just starting to enter into the battlefield, or they will be over the next few days. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of a, uh, a more substantial look at where the counteroffensive is, um, and uh, and look at little anomalies like the one that you pointed out here, Jack. And we'll talk about this next next week in detail. But you can still catch a bus. From uh, from Ukraine to, to Moscow, this rather staggered me um, that you could uh, pop into a, a car park in Kiev and hop into a mid-sized bus, um, hand them over the equivalent of three hundred and fifty US dollars, and they would take you on a bit of a round trip through um, Poland, Lithuania, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all the way to Moscow. Mm. All right. Um, uh, this is this is mainly people going back to visit family. Because it's a, it's a it's a tricky situation. There's a, so many Ukrainians yeah. have got Russian relatives, or, oh, or particularly or particularly in what well in the disputed areas and in that part of I guess you would call southwestern Russia. Uh, there's almost a, you know sort of seamlessness about. People having relatives, family, you know, and, and prior to the invasion, people would, you know, wander across the border and catch up socially, uh, even if it was a couple of hours' drive away. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, now, Elon Musk biography, Jack. Whew, gee, I can. I, I've got a. I've got a wonky uh, coffee table. I, I might be able to whack underneath that, and, uh, and then it'd find some possible use here. But Simon and Schuster are going to 
are going to uh, uh, publish this. And apparently this, well, this has led to a fair amount of consternation by someone, uh, probably quite a lot of people on Twitter <laughs> or X. I love how, on, by the way, I love how it's described as uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, in virtually every news report you see these days. It is. Um, it's, still, it's still Twitter to me. Yeah, it's, it'll always be Twitter to me too. Um, uh, would you be buying uh, the Elon Musk biography, Jack? Oh, only if Peter Fitzsimons writes it. <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those, gee, I'm a great guy with a brain the size of a planet and I've never put a foot wrong. Oh, I learned a little bit along the way, that kind of stuff. Um, but um, well, I, I was just amused that people were upset about this, that you're not supposed to publish biographies of people who you don't like. I think that's a very odd uh, that would be a very odd thing for a publisher to decide. Yeah. Um, uh, <coughs> and, uh, it, it's <laughs> so, so is Simon and Schuster being boycotted, Jack? Uh, well, well, there are people on Twitter. There's, there's always people on Twitter trying to boycott, um, trying to organise boycotts for, for X or Y or Z. Um, but they're, 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 trying to get, they're, they're trying to gin this up with, but without any success. The definitive biography of the most fascinating. Is he? Really? I don't know. And controversial innovator of our times. Fascinating? I don't think there's a lot of fascination. Anyway, pre-order now. Barnes and Noble's taking pre-orders. You'll have to ring up the States to tee that up. But uh, it'll be available in six days' time. Be still my beating heart. Um, well, I think Peter Fitz has run through the whole list of Australians to write biographies of, so he's got to move offshore. Well, he's got a team. He's got a he's got a cricket team, or maybe it's even a union team um, who uh, helps him out there with a little bit of research and might just might just do a little bit of writing for him. Yeah, uh, but, the, but the great man himself steps in and adds all the pithy phrases and uh, yeah. and, and what have you. Um, and, and, and sprinkles the random commas all over the place, does he? <laughs> oh, we all do that, Jack. Don't, don't pick on a man for overuse of commas. I do it all the time. Uh, now, on to sport. Uh, we, we've uh, been heavy on the domestic politics today, but uh, uh, we are sticking once again to uh, to uh, an acknowledgement of Ange Postacoglu, who is absolutely steaming. Uh, uh, Spurs won 5-2 over Burnley. Um, on the weekend, they're beating Man United, but it seems like everyone else is doing that too. Early days, but Spurs are two on uh, number two on the uh, on the uh, on the ladder uh, on the table uh, of the Premier League at the moment, and clearly he's having a huge impact. Can, I, can, can I just read a comment from? Um, uh, a, a very old friend who's an absolute Spurs nut and knows his football. He's um, uh, was sort of running uh, the Asian football championships for a while. Um, they, he says that Spurs have been a, a really hard watch for about four yeah. years. Yeah, they're a bit um, like the, they're a bit like the Blues, a bit like Carlton in the AFL. Um, and and he's supposed to be successful, but haven't been. <laughs> and uh, and just the way they played was just hard to look at. Yeah. He, says, he says they're now a joy to watch. You never think they're really out of a game. They're always pressing to score, um, uh, you know, in, in Ange we trust. And I'm getting this from a lot of Spurs fans. Um, he's changed their world for them. But you you, you noticed something he wrote. Um, uh, uh, this about- is, and I, I'm going to read this from go to woe here. And, and this, you know, with Father's Day in the rearview mirror, 
um, uh, from Sunday. This is a this is about who Ange Postacoglu is and and how his dad was so critical in in his formation. So I'll read it. It's a little long. Bear with me, listeners. My dad, says Ange, he worked very hard. Before I'd get up for breakfast, he would already be at work. At night, she'd get in, get through dinner quickly, sit on the couch and fall asleep. This is the this is the uh, the, the normal experience of the sons of migrants, post-war migrants to Australia, and in and in Ange's case, Greek dad working his working his ring out <coughs> to uh, to keep a roof over the uh, over the family seat. I'll go on. For a young boy, I was looking for a connection with my father and the weekend was the time. We'd go to our local club, South Melbourne, which was a club formed by immigrants of a similar background from Greece, and that Sunday at the football became something special to me. My father, uh, who I knew as a certain kind of individual during the week, and to be fair, he wasn't fun to be around because he was always tired and working hard, just came to life. He would walk through those gates socialise with everyone, get really animated about the referee and coach and football, and I wouldn't leave his side. And that Sunday was really precious to me. I also have stark and vivid memories of being woken in the middle of the night and knowing there was a game of football on the telly that he wanted me to watch with him. It felt like we were the only two people up in the whole world and watching a game from the other side of the world. For me, that was precious because it just brought me closer to my dad. He really loved watching the entertainers. It started in the early 1970s. He loved Leeds, people like Eddie Gray and Peter Lorimer. And in 1974, the first World Cup I remember, he kept talking about Johan Cruyff and the Dutch. In the early to mid-1970s, I started following Liverpool because the football they were playing used to excite my father as well. They were a possession-based team. He influenced the kind of football I liked, and that has stuck with me. I really struggled in my playing career because I couldn't be the player who would excite my father. I was a defender and fairly limited in my technical ability. My father passed away a couple of years ago, and when my teams play, I still pretend my father is watching in the grandstand, and would he be enjoying watching his, this team? That has always been the root of everything I have done. I can't shift because where it all started from is more powerful than any challenges I'll get externally from owners or media or supporters questioning my beliefs. They are so deep-rooted, they can never change. So that's why Ange is Ange. A rather beautiful yeah. testament to his father, but also we want to play exciting football. Yeah. Um, his new captain, uh, the, uh, a song, the Korean fella, uh, was interviewed after the Burnley game, and he said this, I'm so grateful that I'm working with him. I've learnt so many things as a player, but also as a human being. We are very, very happy working with him, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, he's changing the world a little bit for Spurs. Um, and yeah. Um, yeah, I think he's on, on his way to becoming the best-known Australian sports person uh, around. So. And, and, and by the way, they lost Harry Kane. Harry Kane's playing for Bayern Munich, and that was always going to happen, regardless of whether Ange was appointed as manager or not. Uh, and Sonny is the other striker, uh, and Sonny's the Korean, the South Korean player. Um, um, but you know they, they they had a you know gaping gap. Harry Kane will give you thirty goals a season, uh, and uh, and they still managed early days. But it looks very very good. Looks very good at the moment. 
Um, you know, it just drags me into what listener Lawrence was talking about. Jack, you were having a bit of a whinge, weren't you, the other day? Or was that some Rowan Connolly, I think, was having a bit of a whinge. It's too noisy at the football. I don't like it. The music's awful, that sort of thing, you know. Hmm. Um, and listener Lawrence has weighed in in, <laughs> in Rowan Connolly's favour. He said, I guess I'm in the old fuddy-duddy age range because I agree with the with the column you mentioned from Rowan about the incessant noise at sporting events. I went to the third Wallaby test against England in 2022. It was just unbearable. Any break in play was an excuse to blast a few bars of some recent pop tune through the loudspeakers, either that or the the ground announcer extolling the crowd to cheer on the team. In contrast, my day at the Oval for the Australia v India World Test Championship was a day of bliss. There was not one piece of extraneous music played. The ground announcer introduced the teams and the national anthems at the start. Then we didn't hear him again until tea time. He made a service announcement cautioning patrons about congestion at the Oval train station at Stumps, suggesting an earlier or later departure might ease frustration. Uh, Rugby World Cup predictions. Ireland don't make the semis. Ooh, I'll do that, Lawrence. France play South Africa in the final with the box prevailing. Wallabies knocked out in the quarters if they make it that far. Penrith to make it three in a row in the league, according to Lawrence, and go the Swans. Bah! But anyway, just getting back to that, it is, you know, you, you, you've actually made the point about test cricket and, and you look across the audience or you look across the people in the stands and they tend to be not young. And uh, Particularly and, in England, that's the case. <laughs> maybe they're going there, Jack, because they can get a bit of respite from the blaring noise of other sporting events. Yeah, uh, and, and a very helpful guy in the PA directing them to the right train station. Yeah. Um, it does leave us on to Penrith to make it three in a row in the league. Yeah, that's probably where I'd say. And then we've got uh, what we'd like to call the Super Weekend of the AFL this weekend. NRL finals commence as well. Uh, Collingwood v Melbourne on Thursday night. Uh, Friday's game what's is... What's your tip? What's your, uh, as you go through it, what's your tip? Well, my tip, uh, I think Melbourne will beat Collingwood. And yeah, I'll, go, I'll, be- go, I'll go the, the, the other way, yeah. I think, well, I, I, I briefly explain why. I think um, I, I think the loss of uh, the young the young uh, brother and uh, and and the skipper down back is going to hurt them, uh, and they're still not available. So um, that's why I think uh, Melbourne will win. Also, I think Melbourne are not far away from their premiership form. Uh, got Clayton Oliver back in the side and got a couple of games under his belt now. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, Melbourne to beat Collingwood, Carlton to beat Sydney because you wouldn't expect anything less from me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll be consistent. I'll go for Sydney. Go for Sydney, yeah. Um, look, more, I have got, more, I haven't got more, a bad bone in my body for the Sydney Swans footy club. Um, more, but, more in hope than anything else. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd like to see the Blues. Of course, they, they've got they've got a few blacks with a bit of finals experience from other clubs, um, but they are the most inexperienced side in it. Uh, then we got Brisbane and Port Adelaide, um, and uh, and that's at the Gabba, Brisbane, Brisbane at the Gabba, and you never go wrong. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then the Saints and Giants, and that just going to be a fascinating game. That That's one, a very hard to pick a winner there. Both sides are in pretty good nick, 
and um, maybe uh, the recently uh, anointed captain of the All Australian squad, uh, the and, and also Giants captain. Geez, he, he, he really has uh, 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 really has gone through a um, a marked uh, improvement in his. Uh, um, in his status within the game, hasn't he? Um, I'm, I'm thinking Green. Green. Tom, Toby Green. He's, a, Green, he's a better yeah. player. He's a better player than he was. So, if you'd asked me, um, say last year, who was the better medium-sized forward, the bloke from the Swans, um, uh, or the blonde-haired bloke from the Swans, or Toby Green, I would have said Isaac Heaney. Heaney or Green. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would have gone Heaney. But Green's been a better player, and he's become a very, very good captain. Um, I think um, I think Green's just about be the first bloke picked uh, in any side uh, in, in, in the AFL. Um, um, probably just ahead of Charlie Kerner. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so he's you know he's gone from being a bit of a mug who had some discipline problems now to being a very very good a talented. Mate, he's gone from being a talented mug to a he's, really he does, really good does occasionally do a few mug things. It was quite funny to see he actually. Um, Jacob uh, Weavering, uh, the uh, the Carlton defender, was involved in a little bit of a skirmish with um, with Toby uh, in in the most recent game there, and um, and there was thoughts that he might be uh, Weavering might be under uh, the uh, under review of the the tribunal, or what do they call it these days, whatever whatever they call it these days, and Toby sent him an apology on Twitter. Sorry, mate. Sorry, I got you in strife, and I was like, "Okay, you've changed." I, I think the, Good I think Wedering got a fine for it, didn't it? Yeah, got a fine. Yeah, there was there was talk of hands being in front of faces, eyes, etc. But uh, it was which really, Toby which, Toby does. Maybe does seem to get um, emotional reactions from his opponents quite a bit. Yeah. He did go in pretty hard to take a Carlton player down. And and Toby's got form for the same thing. Um, uh, what's your what's what's your view on the NRL? I know they don't get a lot of it up there, um, Jack. Um, uh, Penrith, uh, Penrith, Penrith looked pretty good to me. Um, so uh, Broncos v Storm, Panthers v Warriors, Sharks v Roosters, Knights v Raiders. There was a bit of uh, to and fro to see who the final eight would be. Uh, the Roosters have scrambled in. Uh, Broncos are looking pretty good too, so they'll play the Storm at home. Uh, Panthers play the Warriors. The Warriors are one of those sides who they just play a bit of exciting footy, so you hope they'll go right, but I think Panthers, Panthers uh, Panthers will be too good. Um, the Sharks should beat the Roosters, um, but the Roosters' recent form has been pretty good. And the Knights have been in the finals for a long for, for the first time in a long while, having a good season. I hope they um, give uh, the Raiders a bit of a touch up. Have, have they gotten Ricky's toys back in the? Club? <laughs> Everyone carefully puts them back in, and he just yeah. throws them uh, throws them out. That's a, that's uh, their coach, Ricky Stewart, who was telling telling the cameraman. The, the bloke is actually following the play, walking down the touchline, back and forth to follow the play, told him fuck off. Mm. Uh, no, that's that's Ricky for you, and it's one reason I don't like the Raiders. So uh, big finals weeks in the NRL and uh, NAFL. Jack, a uh, bit of cricket's been on, of course. Uh, Australia flogged South Africa 3-zip with Mitch Marsh at the helm. 
uh, as captain, and uh, I think he got out in the third game, uh, but he, he didn't have an average in the first two and smacking them everywhere. Uh, Travis Head got some runs opening uh, opening the batting for the T20 side. Mitch Marsh bats at three. Um, I think he's a terrific captain, and I think he's well worth pers- persevering with uh, uh, in the shortened form of the game. He's a tremendous ODI player as well. Um, but so where, where, it, does this, where does this place he and Cameron Green now? Because he had uh, Mitch had a good test series in, in England as well. I, I think Cameron Green's the sort of player, obviously a lot younger, um, there was a lovely little clip there of uh, Mitch and uh, and the Australian Test captain uh, watching each other doing videos, you know, doing uh, doing Cricket Australia videos ten years before. Um, and, <clears throat> and so Mitch has been around for a fair while. Cameron Green, I I, I, I don't want to see him playing a lot of short form cricket. I know he'd be a very good ODI player. Whether he should be playing the T Twenty side, he's not at the moment. I think that just might be too much for him. You know, he bats, he bowls. You know, it's going to be hard. Uh, you're going to take a lot out of him to do that. Um, so I think he'll have a far more limited um, uh, touch on the uh, on Australia's short form cricket. But um, he'll be the Which, he'll be the opted Test player every time. You think you think you'd pick him ahead of Marsh in the Test Test side? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Look, I love Mitch Marsh. I'm one of the few Australians who do, but Cameron Green's going to take two or three catches more in a series than he does. That's just for starters. What we'd like to see from Cameron Green, still a very young bloke, but what we'd like to see from Cameron Green is, is just just um, uh, a little few, a, a few more runs, a few few more big scores, and, and I'm sure they'll come. Mm. Spring Carnival, Jack. Well, I barely looked at the horses this year, mate. So no, you'll have to, it, you'll it, have to it, leave it, me it, off there. Well, uh, we, we won't discuss horses. This we're just going to remind our viewers that it's coming up. Our listeners, it's well, it is spring. This spring, and it's coming up. The Melbourne Cup nominations closed uh, on the fifth of uh, uh, of September. Uh, so it's all in front of us, but we'll we'll keep you informed. We keep a close eye on this. There you go. Thanks very much. And take us out, Jack. What do you got that's really silly? Uh, well, uh, this is from the Couple US Open. Uh, more sport from the US Open. Um, there's a young woman called Megan Lucky uh, who became sort of famous at the last two US Opens um, for uh, dressing up very attractively and chugging beers in the crowd. And um, and this got her a whole lot of attention on the internet. Uh, but she went again the other day and they didn't put her on the Jumbotron screen. And she's very upset about this because she's having trouble monetizing her new newfound fame. Uh, and it just goes Worth to show for Hawkey. Yeah, we're for Hawkey. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just goes to show you how weird this... Um, you know, when you hear footballers talk about my brand and uh, and, yeah. uh, and a person talking about how am I going to monetize the fact that I chugged a beer at the, at the tennis? <laughs> what's she? What's, what's she? Is she? A, is, She's a very attractive young woman, I might it, 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 But is, is she any good at golf? Uh, what? Well, don't know. I would have thought that was important. While we're on the subject of beer, I, I, I WhatsApped a, um, a pal yesterday to say, look, I finished. Finished a bit early at five thirty. Um, should we get that going and have a beer? And he sent me back a photo because um, uh, I'd forgotten that he was actually in Melbourne. 
with a can of something called Hawker West Coast um, uh, sitting next to me. Uh, he was in a pub in the Melbourne CBD, and I had to look up where the Hawker West Coast beer comes from. Um, and on the internet, they told me they had a cellar door in Reservoir. Reservoir, reservoir mate. It's not Re- Reservoir. Reservoir. Uh, what, what are you? Uh, we had to popped on a... <laughs> you know, popped on a beret and started smoking a Galway <laughs> down a Broadway. Oh, you know, it's Reservoir, mate. Uh, apologies um, to all reservoir, reservoir people, but um, that did rather tickle me. So I knew you grew up in. It's reservoir. a new. It's it's it's. I, I I drove around there not so long back, and I, it 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 it's this is a completely different place, except for some of the public housing sectors, there, which still looks a bit grim. But uh, but, but uh, it is a very different place. It is. Uh, it, 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 it would have been very bougie. Wouldn't have been famous for its craft beer in your day. <laughs> As I said to you, if there's a cellar door in Reservoir, it's probably out of the boot of someone's car. But no, things have changed, as you say. Yeah, um, yeah time, time's moved on. It would be sold to you by a bloke with a beard and a man bun, um, uh, and, and, and it wouldn't be cheap. Uh, it's not cheap. I did check the price. Uh, what do you get? A pack of sixteen for eighty-five bucks, I think, Jack. Oh, ouch! Yeah, ouch, yeah, that's a bit rough. <laughs> It'd want to be a good job. Well, that just just about takes us out for the two jacks for this week. Uh, week ending. Ooh, what have we got? Ninth uh, of September, uh, and uh, and we'll be back with you next week. Um, we have thrown a lot of. Um, uh, of our listeners' thoughts in. Uh, we're getting quite a lot of them, and please keep them coming. You can hit me up. I think some of you guys know to get hold of me through uh, uh, Facebook Messenger. Some of you have done that. Uh, you can always hit me up on uh, Twitter at Jack the Insider or my DMs. DMs always open. Uh, Baseman, yes, you did flick us a comment this week, and we'll get to that next week, so uh, don't worry. You haven't missed out. And, Jack, uh, if anyone wants to hit you up with a comment, criticism, whatever it might be, how do they get hold of you? HongKongJack.substack.com. Oh, there you go. So uh, drop us a line if you can. And we look forward to bringing you the two Jacks again next week. Thanks very much, listeners. We'll see you later.